we may lose our minds. One day, each one of us will lose our life. This life, at least. The big question is, what will all this have been for? What will be our legacy? What eternal significance will any of this have had? As we will see as we read the next section of Job, he would lose everything but his wife and his life in a series of calamities that would fall upon him. We can be thankful this evening that for most of us, we do not have as much to lose as Job. But when we do face loss, as we all shall, how will we respond? Our response will demonstrate whether or not our hopes are ultimately in God or in the things that he has given us. How could Job respond the way he does? Let us read from Job chapter 1 and verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and who shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. Everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. 
It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. May the Lord be pleased to bless us with a rich understanding of this text. If you're taking notes this evening, I've got three uh, A's for you. Firstly, the adversary. Secondly, adversity. So number one, the adversary. Secondly, adversity. And thirdly, adoration. The adversary. He comes on the scene uh, in this council of heaven uh, in verse 6. The adversary, the one who is aligned against God and against God's creation. He is a powerful being, one of the angels, literally one of the sons of God, it mentions in the text. But his power next to God's is vastly limited. He is accountable to God. He has to come and tell God what he has been doing. And he is limited to going to and fro. He is not omnipresent and he is not omniscient and he is not all-powerful, omnipotent. What is his purpose? What is he doing? Well, ultimately, Satan is condemned by God and cast down to the earth. He roams the earth like a lion, seeking those he might devour. He's filled with rage and hatred towards God and God's creatures. We can detect his haughty tone in his responses to God's questions. But he must answer God's questions. And he answers them truthfully. Satan seeks to tear down, to harm and destroy what God has made. And this is his purpose in challenging God to test Job. Job, who is one of God's prized human creatures. A man with whom God is greatly pleased. So much so, he holds him out. Uh, as an example of righteous humanity in his faith in God. Perhaps you're thinking this evening, why does God bring Job to Satan's attention? Surely it might be wiser for God to keep quiet about Job and allow him to continue living the blessed life. 
Friends, this is part of the answer to why Job went through the agony of his suffering. In order that Satan and his agents, including those who attacked Job's family and possessions, that they might be shown to be unrighteous and evil in their designs. And that God would be vindicated in his pleasure with Job and in restoring him in due course with Job in possession of a stronger faith. I wonder if that's your experience as you've gone through sufferings. Maybe the net effect of that distilling has been that your faith has actually grown stronger as you've trusted God more. We're given a glimpse through heaven's curtain to see this council of heaven to see what is going on behind the scenes but as far as we know job is never told what happened behind this veil he like many of us in our suffering we're never shown the reasons for it but something we should take great comfort from is the knowledge that suffering comes to us all even those with whom God is pleased, those who are his children, those who demonstrate piety and repentance, even in times of plenty, like Job. Remember Job, in, in his routine practice, was to go out and make sacrifices to God on behalf of his children, just in case they sinned. God was pleased with Job and he continued to trust him in times of distress, suffering and lack. Satan, Job's adversary and ours, rages and tears down. But one day he will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, never again to torment the saints of God. Friends, the power of God is unshakable. And he can make us unshakable in the face of suffering. Not because we are strong, but because he is strong. And he will not let us fall from his tender embrace. No matter what adversity we are called to endure. Remember, Job is under no illusions about his wealth, his possessions or his family. As a man of faith, his trust in God comes first, above all things. This is why he's conscientious in offering his regular prayerful sacrifices to the Lord. Such a person will be better prepared to face the adversity that this life throws up. And it will throw up. It's only a matter of time. Let's consider for a moment the losses that Job faces. And these losses are informed to him through a number of messengers. The first messenger arrives telling of the loss of the oxen and donkeys and their servants. 
to the Sabaean raiders. The second messenger arrives hot on his heels, telling of the fire of God. Now in the Bible, the fire of God is usually lightning. So perhaps a lightning storm strikes down the sheep and servants looking after them. As if this wasn't enough, a third messenger arrives to tell of three groups of Chaldean raiders who attack the camels, killing the servants, guarding them. And finally, most painfully, the final messenger breaks the tragic news of the collapse of Job's son's house, killing all his children who were feasting there. The great scorching wind from the desert to the east reduced the house to rubble, killing all inside. These four messengers in quick succession bring the painful news of great and extensive loss to Job. From the four points of the compass and his life apparently now lies in tatters. We often hear reports of doom, don't we, if we listen to the media. But thankfully the reports are often worse than the reality. We've heard messages of doom in recent weeks talking about the nuclear holocaust that we are possibly drawing ever nearer to. The media love to ramp up the fear, don't they? Friends, the Lord our God is in control. He is the one who has determined the times, the seasons and the events of history. And he is guiding history in such a way that he will be glorified through it. Even when we experience very real loss. God will always do what is right, what is objectively right. And he always keeps his promises to his children. His promises are not false promises, like the prosperity gospel. A gospel that says that God wills financial blessings and good health for believers. According to prosperity teaching, when you suffer loss or health woes, you must be somehow outside of the will of God. You're either a carnal Christian or you're lacking in your devotion to God, probably not giving enough of your hard-earned wages to the church. What a horrendous twisting of the truth, dear friends. Thankfully, none of us have experienced the extent of loss with which Job was afflicted. But it is only just a matter of time before we do experience either suffering or loss or both. Statistically, death comes to one out of every one person. 100%. There are many widows and widowers to bear witness to that. There are many parents who have lost a child. There are many who, through no fault of their own, have seen their health decline 
without improvement. Or who've witnessed their livelihoods collapse. Such traumatic losses are happening all around us on a daily basis. What will we do when it is our turn? How will we respond? Let's consider these responses. What's the world's response to suffering? Well, quite a lot of people in the world uh, reach the conclusion that there couldn't possibly be a God because there's so much suffering in the world. In the book of Job, we see the world's response through Job's wife and friends. We'll see in chapter 2, Job's wife, who's gone through the very same loss as Job himself, losing all her children, tells Job to curse God and die. Surely we need to extend grace to her in her terrible moment of loss. And also to Job's friends who are limited by their understanding. They're they're following the world and the world's model of understanding. If you're doing what God wants, if you're a good person, then surely you'll enjoy blessings. But if you're failing in some way, if you're secretly sinning, if you're a bad person, then you'll face judgment and loss. This is why the world always looks for scapegoats. Evil people to blame for all the world's ills. Paedophiles, racists, bigots, homophobes. But friends, life is not all that straightforward. The sin pandemic has taken hold of all of us. And we've sidelined the solution. In the 21st century, we've become far worse than Job's friends, as we'll see. Job's friends with their poor theology. Here in the 21st century, we've attempted to live entirely without God. As if that were possible. Friends, the world's response to suffering offers no hope to anyone. What response did Satan intend for Job to have? Well, if we look at verse 11 in chapter 1, we see that Job, uh, that, that Satan hoped that Job would curse God to his face. According to Satan, Job only followed God and reverenced God because he knew which side his bread was buttered on. That God was the source of all blessings. And that he'd received many blessings and wanted to keep them. So he'd better keep God sweet. But in time of adversity, Job would show his true colours. Was Satan wrong to think these things about Job? Surely in many cases, Satan is correct. As a student of human nature... Satan has become an expert in exploiting our very own sinful desires and our dark nature. Sadly, 
all too easily we are led astray and enticed, usually without any effort from Satan or his minions. So it's a good bet that Job, if sorely afflicted enough, would turn against God and renounce his faith. Thankfully, Satan is not omniscient. God alone is omniscient. Satan cannot read our minds. He merely observes our behaviour. I wonder what Satan sees when he observes us. Or when others observe us. So what then was Job's actual response? How does he respond? Well, God has already uh, demonstrated faith in Job. He said that Job is a blameless and upright man. This doesn't mean that he's perfect, but it means that he follows God's ethics. That he is humble before God. He fears God and turns away from evil, says the Lord. And so he is one of God's prized creatures. His faith is a living faith. Let's look again at his response to all this bad news. Verse 20. At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Friends, we shouldn't think for a moment that Job is not broken-hearted, that he is not devastated. The evidence of his actions declares this reality, his tearing of his clothes, his shaving of his head. These, these are ritual expressions of his grief, his very real grief. But by the very grace of God, his faith remains intact. He comes before God. He bows down in worship. And he leans on God. It's quite a staggering response. Given the extent of Job's loss. I wonder what our response would be. How do we respond to suffering and loss you know the message of the gospel is that an all powerful sovereign yet perfectly holy and just God he loved the world enough to launch a great rescue mission to save sinners from the consequences of our rebellious ways to save us from eternal judgment and condemnation and to win the affection of our hearts through the revelation of his wondrous character as we come to know our God personally. I said at the outset, the book of Job is wisdom for losers. And whether we like it or not, we are or will all one day become losers. 
But will we willingly lay down our lives for the God who laid down his for us? Will we become active losers, submitting ourselves to the sovereign, loving hand of God as he moulds and shapes us to be the men and women that he wants us to be? Fit for eternity, with hearts conforming to the pattern and nature of Christ. Dear friends, let us, like Job, Even in the midst of pain and suffering, may we find our greatest joy and greatest fulfilment in the Lord our God, the covenant God of Israel, to whom all the universe belongs, including ourselves. He has called us to be losers. And this is what I mean. To lose our lives for his sake. Becoming worshippers. Like Job in the midst of struggles. To help others sacrificially through their struggles. And he has promised us that he will help us do that. So when the time comes. Let us be ready to shave our heads to tear our robes and to praise our living God who does what he will with us. May he be pleased to glorify himself through our lives as we bear witness to his mercy and love. Let's pray together.